Brandon, I have a confession, and that confession is that I don't watch The Mandalorian. Well, okay. Okay, before I freak out, are you a Star Wars fan in general? Because that is obviously going to play a factor on whether or not someone is attracted to The Mandalorian. Yeah, listen, I'll say like, yeah, I've seen all the movies and enjoyed them, but I've seen them like once or twice. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So have you never seen a single frame of footage from The Mandalorian, even as a television critic slash reporter? No. um, First of all, I've seen all the Baby Yoda memes. Okay. (laughs) And second of all, I did watch the first episode, um, but then I was like, that's nice. And then didn't watch anymore. Uh, I mean, (laughs) listen. I'm sorry. It's okay. Because listen, I, I don't like it as much as the general population does. You know, I don't think it is worthy of its best drama nomination that it got at the Emmys for season one. (laughs) But I still like it because I adore Star Wars and I think there are singular standout elements within The Mandalorian. So, I mean, listen, if you're looking for like a a high-octane, episodic, space-western binge that's just like really cool action and stuff, like, yeah, I think you'll like it. But like, if you're not a huge Star Wars person, you don't really need to dive into it. Does that make sense? I mean, I think you should as a TV reporter because it's the the closest approximation to Game of Thrones we have post-Game of Thrones. Listen, consider this a public apology. (laughs) Uh, I'm Jean Bentley, and I do not watch The Mandalorian, but I do enjoy Baby Yoda, a.k.a. The Child, a.k.a. He has a name now, and I don't know. But anyway, you're listening to... It doesn't matter. It's a stupid name they gave him. (laughs) You're listening to Must Watch... Uh, the podcast with me and my buddy here, Brandon Katz, talk about all things streaming, including The Mandalorian, which I don't watch it again. I'm so sorry to the internet that I don't watch it. <laughs> but that is okay, because over the last few weeks, we have been talking about our favorite shows or most notable shows that we do watch across the entire streaming spectrum. So Netflix, Apple TV Plus, HBO Max. Last week was sitcoms and comedies on Peacock. This week, Gene, as you know, we are diving into Disney Plus. Uh, Now, it should come as no surprise to anyone listening that, you know, Hamilton, Marvel, Star Wars, a handful of the exclusive films Disney has dropped on Disney Plus in recent months, Those have gotten the most attention on the platform, obviously. But Disney Plus's other marketing hook is millennial nostalgia, which can be quite potent, Gene. Yes, it sure. It sure can. Honestly, I feel like nostalgia in general is the Disney Disney brand these days, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true for the most part. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about these three series in particular that are, are reigning in the um, youths, but not the youngest youths, um, <laughs> but maybe the youngest youths. I don't know. There's there's some Gen Z drama involved in this. Okay. So if you're younger and listening to this, you'll probably roll your eyes um, at us, but that's okay. You but remind me right now. Drama. You remind me right now of Liz Levin going, <gasps> youths and scurrying youths, off in the opposite exactly. direction in 30 Rock. Exactly. Okay, listen, so we all know that Disney Plus has The Mandalorian, as we briefly touched upon, and we also know that Disney Plus now has a shitload of Marvel. That's the technical term, a shitload. Yes, that is what the SVOD industry has decided is the catch-all vernacular. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It, there's a shitload of Marvel. But, you know, if you want some WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier discourse, um, I might I direct you to the internet. Uh, there's plenty out there. But we didn't want to talk about that. We want to talk about some of the other stuff that Disney Plus has in store, including these three shows in particular. High School Musical, the musical, the series. Yes, that's the full title. Yes, it is a mouthful. Yes, it is a winking nod at, <laughs> and it knows how ridiculous it is. That's part of the show. Okay. And then there's also the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. And then there's also Big Shot. And I feel like these three shows do have uh, some DNA in common that kind yeah. of appeals to this nostalgic whatever phase that's going on. So let's dive in. Let's talk about HSMTMTS, which is, you know what? No, that's not that helpful. Of an acronym. Acronym. <laughs> not that helpful. Yeah. And, and to, and to your point, before we get into the specifics, I do think that DNA is even when these series maybe don't necessarily cut through the clutter of peak TV pictures, they still offer something for both young kids and parents which seems to be Disney's bread and butter sweet spot overall. When you, especially when you move outside of the Marvel, the Star Wars, the, the Pixar zone. Yes, exactly. There's a little something for everyone, which is the whole Disney thing. It is, it is stuff for families that will <laughs> appeal to all age groups within the family. Yes. All right. So hit me because you are the more knowledgeable high school musical, the musical, the series, say that five times fast, fan when when compared to me, because I have no love for the originals and am barely aware of this one. Okay, well, first of all, high school musical, I feel like needs no introduction. You know, very successful Disney original movie franchise that gave us Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens and there were three of them and the third one was actually released theatrically which I find really interesting while wow. the, the first two were you know Disney Channel only that's a glow uh, so, up for Disney Channel yeah so so the whole premise of the show is very meta on purpose it's the it takes place at the high school where they shot the high school musical movie and the high school where they shot the High School Musical movie is going to do a production of the High School Musical, the musical <laughs> stage play in the drama club. Did you get all that, listeners? Are you still with us? Right. Okay, so it's meta. So it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's very, how should I put this? For the theater nerds, it is for <laughs> the drama club folks among us. And guess what? Um, pretty much every single person I have ever met doing the entertainment job, entertainment reporting job, uh, was in drama club in one form or another. And that is everyone from actors to producers, to journalists, to, uh, you know, everyone that I have met <laughs> was in the drama club. Um, so I feel like this is a very showbiz friendly show but it's also very relatable because hi you know there's a drama club at every high school around the country for a reason so it's the um new drama teacher comes in and the joke is that she was a background performer in the movie when they filmed it there and then she isn't decides, that the dream Jean? yeah 
Yeah, exactly. So, so basically it traffics in the nostalgia um, with a wink through this character right. who's kind of lame, who is trying to relive her glory days. But then there's also this really lovely, like, you know, uh, there's a little love triangle. There's, you know, nerds discovering confidence that they didn't realize they had before. <laughs> it's like all of the tropes are all in there together, but it's also, I have to say, extremely funny. Even yeah. if you didn't watch the, even if you hadn't watched High School Musical, if you watch this show, the the jokes are very much, you know, drama club centric and theater centric. So like you, if you have an appreciation or know that world a little bit, you'll still get the jokes, even if you hadn't seen the movie. The humor definitely has to me a more of an identity than the kind of generic middle of the road. Let's try to appeal to as many people as possible as the Disney channel, you know, Oh, any ever did in its lifespan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's just really funny. It's really um, entertaining. I think that this show in particular, more than any of the others that we're talking about, is really entertaining for parents and kids and, um, you know, childless 30-somethings who just <laughs> <laughs> appreciate funny stuff, you know. Um, and so I think it's very likable uh, because it has that different quadrant appeal. The specificity is in the subject matter, yeah. not the like age, you know, target targeted audience. Yeah. I mean, unlike Eugene, I have zero affection or familiarity with the originals, but from what I've seen of this version, this quasi reboot, this semi revival, which is a, a small handful of episodes. I very much can admire the self-awareness and the cheeky sense of humor. And more importantly, if we want to zoom out and talk a little bit more macro, I think it's an interesting way to revitalize an extremely well-known kind of branded title. And since reboots and revivals and continuations are never going away in Hollywood because all any studio wants to do is recycle its own library, I think I prefer more of these attempts to think outside the box in their approach and execution like this one does. You know, at least it's taking a creative swing, if nothing else. And like you said, there, there are elements to enjoy more, like the point of view specific humor. Whereas, you know, you look across the, the TV spectrum and it's just like, well, let me just repackage the same exact concept with zero tweaks and just a new cast. And so yeah. I, I appreciate that the high school musical, the series, the musical, whatever, is at least trying to put a fresh spin on something familiar. Yeah. And then I'll also say, uh, this is a show that still hasn't premiered its second season. The second season premieres um, very shortly. And it has already spawned a bona fide Selena Gomez, you know, Demi Lovato style pop star. <laughs> um in Olivia Rodrigo, who came out with this single driver's license that kind of went viral. It captured pop culture. They even, you know, played it on SNL. And there was a full circle moment when she recently came and performed the sh on the show as the musical guest. So cool. there's that. And there's also, she is part of some very juicy Gen Z gossip because her boyfriend on the show... Um, played by Joshua Bassett or her ex-boyfriend on the show. Um, they dated in real life during 
the filming of the first season and then the single driver's license, you know, there's a lyric, guess you didn't mean what you wrote in those songs about me. So she's like taking a shot at him. And then the same week that this song came out, he released a single and he was supposedly dating another Disney person, Sabrina Carpenter from girl meets world. And there was, and she released a single that capitalized on it too. I don't know if that was engineered or just like like genius level engineering <laughs> or just kind of like, you know, we're all going to capitalize on this if people think that this is what it's about. But it's definitely been fun to follow from afar. Um, and I I can't actually tell you what actually happened. I that that would require a well, level of commitment in <laughs> in this that I just can't bear to give after the conspiracy <laughs> theories that Becky was made up solely to sell lemonade albums, you know, between Jay-Z and Beyonce, I will believe almost any story of like, man, how wild is Hollywood and manufacturing its own juicy narratives? Yeah. I, but for, for me, I just feel like no one uh, was craven enough to manufacture it in this way. Like that just feels like very Machiavellian for, a Disney Channel, you know, group of pop. I don't pop know, man. Star These Gen so. Zers are getting savvier <laughs> and savvier. You know, they know how to play the chessboard like Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. But listen, I wish all three of these young people yeah. the best and uh, loving, loving Olivia Rodrigo's singles. I think we're <laughs> going to be hearing from her for a long time. Uh, she seems yeah. like the perfect new Disney pop star, and I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> So now for our next one, I think the age range is a little bit older. You know, you're probably talking about a a decade so or difference, but it's going for that same revitalization, nostalgic style. That is the Mighty Ducks game changer. And it takes place several, you know, decades after the original trilogy of movies. Now a powerhouse in its division, the Mighty Ducks junior hockey team is very selective about who makes the cut. So after being kicked off the team and told he was wasting his time, 12-year-old Evan Morrow, at the urging of his mother, played by Lauren Graham, forms a new hockey team of underdogs with the help of original Ducks coach Gordon Bombay, who has since become the despondent owner of a low-level ice rink. Now, right off the bat, I just don't understand how many ups and downs Gordon Bombay can endure in one lifetime. If you'll remember from the original trilogy, he went from a high-priced defense lawyer to a guy battling DUI charges to coaching a peewee hockey team, then coaching the junior Olympics to trying to make a comeback in the NHL. I mean, man, this guy's life is all over the spectrum. So for him to come back and kind of be the grumpy old man this time around, he needs a hug, a battle, a bottle of Jack Daniels and a therapy session. I think that would be appropriate for him. But Gene, having said all that, I was a massive, massive Mighty Ducks fan as a kid. I watched all three films on a continuous loop despite having zero actual interest in hockey or an ounce of athletic ability in my body. So you knew I really loved it. Now, to me, is Game Changers the type of millennial nostalgia mixed with surprising quality that's going to keep me consistently on the hook, like Peacock's unexpectedly great Saved by the Bell revival that we discussed last week? No, it is not nearly as game-changing as its title might suggest, and it relies so much on the same formula we've seen time and time again from this franchise with very little deviation or desire to do something new. 
But having said that, getting my criticism out the way, it has miles and miles of heart. It does have some decent humor. I think High School Musical is a little bit more clever. This one's a little bit more broad, but still enjoyable. And it's a show that I find myself checking out like one episode at a time at random intervals rather than a full-on binge. So for a 29-year-old millennial, I think that's a pretty decent showing. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing about the Mighty Ducks Game Changers is that it's definitely made with a slightly younger audience in mind. You know, it's like this is this is a kid's show, but it has this extra layer that appeals to adults in the the nostalgia aspect. Um, But listen, as I have discussed many times on this podcast, I love a sports underdog story. And yeah, this is a new take on a classic. I kind of love that the Ducks are the evil guys this time. They've become all that they stood against. Yeah, exactly. Because like that feels like a very real life lesson. Absolutely. Although (laughs) I guess you could say in D2 when they became a junior Olympic team and were benching some of the original members for better players that they had essentially risen to the the spot that they tried to despise in D1. Yes, this is true. But at the same time, it was the same kids that we rooted for. But now it's like, who are these D bags? Uh, (laughs) What are they doing? Who are these cake eaters to borrow the terminology? Come on. on. Um, So yeah, so I, I think this is, this is definitely though, I don't know how many, uh, childless millennials like us would have checked this show out without the Mighty Ducks yes. aspect of it. Agreed. This is definitely that was a needed yeah. hook. Yes, exactly. So I think this can be categorized more in the in the like children's genre, but again, enjoyable for kids and adults. And I, that is a true mark of a of a good kids show if it can entertain adults and children alike. And I do think that this show has that. I just think that the incentive to tune in um, is really just in the the mighty ducks of it all, which obviously yeah. then, you know, like that's literally the whole point of the show, but still. <laughs> and, and it is great to see Emilio Estevez back in that, you know, I don't want to say iconic because I don't know how iconic a kid's franchise can be in that regard, but overall it's, he's truly beloved and that, that is fun, but Man, that guy's had a rough go of it in his life. That character. Yeah, Gordon Bombay burns bright, okay? Burns <laughs> burns bright, fades fast. <laughs> so now putting you on the spot, which of the three original movies is your favorite? It's the first one. It's my oh, fave. Okay, you're going yeah. with the original? I just like the classic. Yep. What about you? I got to go D2, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think it has the, the most quotable lines. You know, you lost it for yourself. Like Gunnar yeah. Stahl, Iceland. Which is so funny because they're, they're supposed to be 13 and 14 year olds and every single one of them was like a 21 year old on HGH. Yeah. Well, um, is that the one where they like solve the Cold War? Or yeah, is that's, it, that, it, yeah that's, that's the that's Junior that's Olympics that where they face yeah, off yeah. against Iceland in, yeah, in yeah. the finals. The yeah. Junior Goodwill Games, I think. <laughs> woo, 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 Kenny Woo. They introduced well, Keenan Thompson, Knuckle Pop. Yes. Like it's just, it's, it's I the best. That. What, what is the third one about? That's when they go to a prep school and they're they're uh, they're trying to beat their JV to the varsity team. And like, listen, I understand competitive peps, competitive uh, prep schools have really good talent. But if your lar- if your roster is largely made up of people who are going to have to go to the Junior Olympics, you're probably going to be better than the varsity team at some random, you know, posh private school. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rich kids have more resources, but they, t- they don't have necessarily but more talent. So. I do have a soft spot for D3 just because that that's the one I had on VHS the longest. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. definitely got it got its run. Totally. No, we we are an OG Mighty Ducks household. Um, but it's a it's a it's a good movie. You know, yeah. it's a good movie. And I think one just bringing it all back around. One reason why I'm not totally in love with the game changers is it recycles the same exact plot constructions. And as we said for high school musical, love it or hate it, it's trying to do something different. And it's definitely taking a bit of a risk and doing something outside the box. Game changers is the exact opposite in that it's like, okay, I'm going to rely on the safest formula I can to try to recreate that same success. And I just think it's a diminished version of what came before. But like you said, there's still some enjoyable things. I see myself, finishing you know the available season over the next couple months one episode a week or something like that yeah well listen i think the other thing though is that i don't think that the mighty ducks movies were as successful uh story-wise when they kind of tried to do something out of the box um the movies might have still been enjoyable and you know made money or whatever but like i don't think that uh, the conceit really <laughs> held up to scrutiny as yeah, much in the, I, I'm in the not second saying, two movies. I'm not saying the the <laughs> original film, the film trilogy, is like the paragon of kids' quality. But when you are doing a legacy play like this, nostalgia-driven programming is. I do think you got to try to do something different, or make sure if you're recycling the formula, you're doing like an optimal version of it. You know, I, I think there are good examples of things that. Like, I I think Love Life on HBO Max, which we did talk about, didn't reinvent the wheel, but did what it wanted to do well. And I think Mighty Ducks, you know, could could learn from that approach a little bit if it's not going to try to think outside the box or think outside the rink or whatever hockey term you want to put in there. Yeah, exactly. And I should we should also mention for for the nostalgia lovers there, uh, Lauren Graham uh, plays the mother of the um aforementioned you know kid at the center of the story who who helps start the the new team um so that is a nice little nostalgia wink for people who grew up watching these movies and then also loved Gilmore Girls and then also there have been appearances by more members of the original cast and that's fun uh, I do want to, because I feel some people will need to know this, that does not include Joshua Jackson, but I think that was mostly because this was filmed in Vancouver during COVID and uh, it's not like he could have flown out for a day and, you know, winked at the camera or whatever yeah. they're going to have him do and then flown they're, out. Like there's like a really intense the quarantine. To reveal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't think that they... I think that they probably would have really tried to make that happen. And I think that he would have too, because he seems like the kind of person who's really very aware of his place in pop culture and yeah. appreciates that people appreciate him for those things. So uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't rule it out for season two if they are going to do that. Come on. We, we got to get some Charlie Conway in there eventually. That's seriously. Just <laughs> seriously. All right. Now we're moving on to big shot, which is a series starring John Stamos that follows a temperamental basketball coach who is fired from his current job and ends up at an elite girls' private school. Uh, Gene, I'm going to make a confession here that some of the older millennials may hate me for. I was never a big full house guy. Didn't really like it. 
I've seen reruns as an older person. Don't really like it. I thought Fuller House on Netflix was disastrous. So I have never really understood the cultural obsession with John Stamos. Someone who, who I like, very charming, very likable, but like, I just never gave a shit about Uncle Jesse or any of those people. So I think in a way similar to Game Changers, Big Shot is overly formulaic in the way that most kids programming is, you know, stories and themes are so simplistic. There's not really room for any nuance or innovation like uh, Avatar, the last airbender, or a lot of kind of truly beloved kids content that has really transcended the, you know, 12 and under uh, demographic. But I also think like Game Changers Big Shot has a ton of heart, a really optimistic point of view, which is nice in small doses. And I think you could do worse than a, a female-centric family drama with Stamos's winning smile at its, sense, uh, at its center. So even if Big Shot is more coasting by on likability rather than anything traditionally compelling, it's enjoyable enough that I can see why it seems to be growing in terms of social chatter and awareness across, you know, uh, at least our film Twitter bubble. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think... So I was a full house person, loved that show. Yeah, um, I, I also, knew I would draw yeah, ear there yeah, on that one. It's fine, but that's okay. Um, but John Samos is a very important cultural figure to me, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will also say that I did not care to revisit um, full house uh, in Fuller House. It just Ugh. did not appeal to me. It's I, a bad show, and I don't understand how it was yeah. so popular. Listen, it 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 was. That's a very like. This is really for kids. <laughs> this is not something that uh, grown ups will really want to visit on their own. Like even with the nostalgia um, <laughs> of it all. But I think that this that big shot. You know, it has that nostalgia tie with John Samos, who was, is, always will be probably a mega babe. Um, and, you know, that's that's a fact. We all have yeah, eyes. I, we listen, can see that. I don't it's dislike fine. John Stamos. I just yeah. don't, I don't like Fuller House, but I like, I like John Stamos. Yeah. And, and so he also does have a really good rapport with, with the, the teenage girls that yeah. on the team that he's coaching. I think this series is interesting because to me, it makes sense more with a show that's a little bit more grounded and a little bit more well said. Um, appealing to teens or, or preteens. Um, I think that this would have probably paired really well with a show like Love, Victor, ah. which is the continuation of the movie Love, Simon, that was originally supposed to be on Disney+, Plus, but then moved to Hulu because of some elements of the show that were a little less family-friendly, I guess, than Disney+, Plus wanted to be. <laughs> Namely, they were, like, very specific. It is not the fact that Victor is a gay teen kind of coming to terms with his sexual identity. It's more that they drink, they, you know, right. do some risque things that I guess they didn't want on Disney+. Plus. Kind of the same reasoning why the Hillary Duff, Lizzie McGuire revival um was canceled even though it had already started filming because it was tackling a lot more adult topics now the discussion of 
adult topics and drinking and sex um not being okay but like just straight up mass murder and genocide <laughs> in like avengers movies and uh star wars and uh really some violent stuff in the feature films is a very different discussion and we don't have to have it um but but i i think it's important to note that this show big shot really feels like it would have gone well with that kind of programming um, and so it does stick out a little bit more when, when it comes to the original programming right. lineup on Disney+. Plus. I, I think you make a really good point. And it goes to what criteria are we trying to hit? How does that change platform to platform? And where is the line between family friendly and something a little bit more mature, but still relatively four quadrant? You know, if. Like you said, you know, PG-13 action blockbusters, which do have maybe not blood and gore, but are still a lot of not really coded violence. Where, where do we draw the line? It, it's difficult to discern and an interesting topic for perhaps next week's podcast mm-hmm. or something of that yeah. nature. Okay, looking ahead at Disney+, Plus, it's obvious to anyone with eyes that Star Wars and Marvel and all these big franchise brands are going to be the main draws. You know, there is over 20 series in development right now in just the MCU and a galaxy far, far away. We're getting a ton of exclusive Pixar content. And that's exciting, especially for someone like me who's a big nerd and loves all that stuff. But I hope they don't lose sight of these smaller, I don't even want to say nostalgia-driven plays, but some of these kind of regular everyday series. Uh, I may not love the three that we've talked about today. You know, as we've said, there's been some good, some bad. But I think every streamer has evidence of these surprise under the radar hits that come. You know, Netflix can focus all its energy on The Witcher and Stranger Things, but they're still going to give us sex education. You know, uh, 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 Hulu has has The Handmaid's Tale, which is their kind of big genre, broad appeal, prestige swing. But then we still get, you know, Pen15 and Shrill. I don't want them to lose sight of the human element of family-friendly entertainment because I still think some some gems that put all these quality pieces together in one great package could be on the horizon. And it doesn't only have to be superheroes or only have to be Jedi, or only have to be, you know, crazy Pixar stuff that, like, like Lightyear. So it's a weird line that Disney has to straddle moving forward. But we as the consumer, as the audience, I want variety. I want a depth of content and not just a sliver of what works the best. Yeah. Now I'll get off my soapbox. Sorry. No, I love that. And I think that... There are some shows that will hopefully appeal to that, that, that yes, are family friendly, but are definitely not, you know, only superhero or sci-fi or whatever. Um, like they have Doogie Kamehameha, um, yes. MD or whatever the actual title of that's going to be, which is a kind of new version of Doogie Hauser, AKA the show about a Neil Patrick Harris playing a teen doctor. Um, which is a really funny premise, but like, yeah, that's an adorable concept for a kid's show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that I'm really excited about. I think that'll probably be very cute. Um, I'm trying to think of some other, 
more grounded shows that are headed there. I think they're like maybe rebooting the Sandlot, which would definitely fit in with this in terms of, you know, millennial nineties kids movies. (laughs) I I have seen the Sandlot, no joke, easily in the triple digits. Yeah. Like no doubt about it. I'm being 100% real and not exaggerating. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of potential here and we just hope that Disney continues to kind of remember that there's more than just the uh, the fairy tales and the um, and the Avengers and the exactly and the Star Wars, yeah. And as Disney Plus rolls out some of its blockbuster content, of course we will will we will be talking to about that. Uh, in the meantime, we're still running through the rest of the major streaming players. Next week, we're going to discuss. Hulu and The Handmaid's Tale as, you know, season eight round, I mean, season four rounds into its final episodes and whatnot. And, uh, you know, stay tuned. Leave us a five-star review. If there's something you want to want us to talk about and you want to hear about, you want to ask about, you can hit us up at hygiene at great underscore Caspi on Twitter. And uh, other than that, you know, stay tuned. Stay tuned and let us know uh, what streaming shows you're watching and want want us to talk about. Because we'd love to do it. <laughs> Until next week, you guys. Thank you. Oh.